Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Father, we do thank you and praise you for being an awesome God. We thank you that you have come to show us the way, Father, to teach us the things of you. I pray, Father, that uh, we would uh, emulate, copy, uh, have uh, the things that you have trained us and in, in incorporate those things into our lives, that we reflect you. Father, uh, have your spirit here today to open our hearts and our minds, to heal and to touch, Father, and that uh, you would do a wonderful work here this afternoon. We thank you, Father. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I can, uh, I can remember when I, uh, I used to go to an ultra-liberal church uh, when I was in high school because that's where all the girls went. We used to play kickball and meet the girls, you know. And uh, the pastor, I don't think they ever talked about God or nothing. And uh, the pastor was sleeping with all my friends' mothers, you know, type thing. You know, it was a nice social church. And uh, we used to think it was funny that the pastor would skinny dip with this other guy's mother, you know. So oh, that was great, you know, what a cool pastor, you know. But uh, but I, when I graduated, they had the same thing, you know. The seniors got to run church that Sunday type thing. And I wasn't a member of the church. Uh, they had membership, and I always thought membership just equated to you have to give your money, then they hit you up for cash. So I said, no, I don't need that membership stuff. Even back then, I had insight. No. Um, we don't have membership here. But uh, when we graduated, uh, it was weird. That was the first time I was ever behind a pulpit, and uh, I had to stand up. They had some of the seniors. There was like uh, eight or ten seniors graduating that year, and uh, they all had different things they had to do throughout the service. And me and some other guy had to split the the speaking, and uh, uh, and I stood behind that pulpit. And it was really weird, even unsaved and as lost as I was in, at that point. I stood behind that pulpit, and I could just feel like this is your destiny, you know. And everyone said, wow, you did such a great job. And for me in high school, to speak, you know, was paranoid, but get me behind the pulpit. <laughs> and now look, <laughs> look how far we've come, 25 years later, whatever it was. So, uh, but God's good, and uh, we're, we're proud of Kristen. So uh, we hope things launch from here and go, and... Uh, it is an important time, and strangely enough, today's chapter kind of falls into play because Jesus is there to instruct, to teach, to educate. We're in chapter 11 of uh, Luke, and uh, we're seeing the scenario. It says, Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, when he had ceased, that one of his disciples came to him, saying, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. So they're looking at Jesus, and Jesus was there as an example, praying. They saw something that touched them and said, we want to pray like Jesus prays. And they said, you know, John the Baptist had his disciples. He said certain things on prayer. But what do you say about prayer? And it's interesting that they're coming. They're saying, teach us, educate us to pray. And it wasn't just something that came so natural. It wasn't something that uh, just they, they snapped into it. They said there's got to be something more to this. Maybe because Jesus was up on the Mount of Transfiguration last chapter. He was glowing with the Spirit. He came down and cast out the demon out of the guy. And, uh, you know, we, they said, why can't we do that? And Jesus said, unless you pray and fast, you're not going to be successful with the spiritual things. That it takes an effort, it takes some, 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 some desire to, to pray. And they were saying, Jesus, there's, there's got to be something more to this. And he's going to give two very important points, is what it's going to boil down to. But first, he's going to show them how to pray. He's going to show them, he says, he said to them, when you pray, say. This is what you need to say. It's not a chant, it's not some ritual. But this is the pattern that you follow. He says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed just means to be treating it as sacred, as holy. 
So, Father in heaven, you're sacred, you're holy, you're special. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Yeah, we try. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And so Jesus has given us a simple pattern for prayer. Uh, I've heard, you know, eight-part series on just just these few verses, and you can really dig into a lot of things that are being said and done. But we don't want to miss the obvious. Obviously, Jesus is saying, that uh, your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. The, the desire of prayer is that you would take the things of the kingdom of God and that you would make those things here on earth. You, you're bringing them into your life. You're making God's kingdom part of your life, part of the things that are happening around you. You're bringing that into this world, if you would. Something from another world is coming into this world. And so Jesus is teaching them very simply... You, you, you treat God as something very special. Hallowed be thy name. You're special. You're different. You're not part of this world. There's a distinction that, that God is, 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 is someone that is, is not like you and I. He's not common. He's hallowed. And then you're just merely saying, Lord, he says, your kingdom come, your kingdom. There's a whole kingdom that it would be part of this world. It would take over this world on earth as it is in heaven. Make this mess like it should be give us day by day our daily bread lord provide for us you know our needs we have to eat you put us here provide to forgive us our sins so since you're so much different than us uh, we need you father to forgive us for our weaknesses and shortcomings we recognize that we failed but you are successful so forgive us and if and if we understand in our humility and our weakness then therefore we should be humble and and understanding when somebody else is weak and fails us. So, uh, for we also forgive everyone who's indebted to us. And then it's a plea. Don't lead us into temptation. We have to be careful of the lusts of this world. But deliver us from the evil one. So, prayer, very simply, is asking the Lord to to work, to, to... to mold us and to shape us into His image and not to the things that are around us. And Jesus is teaching us. He says, well, this is how you pray. And now He's going to turn around and He's going to basically teach us that we ought to pray. So He goes on in verse 5. And He said to them, Which of you uh, shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on this journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Don't trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are in bed. I can't rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him, uh, I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So Jesus speaks a a parable. He's given an illustration, if you would. And he's saying, he says, prayer, to pray, we ought to pray. Because if you think of a guy coming and knocking at your door at the midnight hour, and you're asleep and you don't really care, uh, but because of the persistence of one man begging, whining, and complaining, is going to get something along his way. Man will do that to a fellow man. Uh, that's, that's a level of common sense. So there's, there's a desire, a need for within side of us to be able to say, look, Lord, I, I need to come, I need to ask, I need to get. I find it rather interesting that this guy knocking on the door is saying, saying, uh, uh, excuse me, I don't want to be rude to my friend who's coming to visit me, but I'll be rude to you. <laughs> and and it, there's, there's a strange ironic twist there on how we can be blind on shortcomings. We can, we can be so rude to God in our prayers because we don't want to be rude to somebody else. And it's amazing on how we, 
we look down upon, we treat with contempt God. The, the answer to our dilemma, if you would, the problems of our life, the very guy that we need to go to to seek help is the guy that we're going to be rude to, even at the expense that we wouldn't want to be rude to somebody else. And this guy's being rude, and he's going to get his way. Now, Jesus turns around, and, and notice what he's going to say here, though, verse 9. He says, So I say to you, ask. You've got to ask. Ask the question. We talked about that earlier, about what makes a disciple and why they understood the parables, because they were willing to ask. And Jesus says you have to ask. He says, I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek. That's to look after, to pursue, to thirst after. You will find. You'll get your answer. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Verse 10, a beautiful promise. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. And then he gives a, a, a simple statement. Let's take for an example. He says, if a son asks for bread from any father among you, just any old average man, uh, will he give him a stone? you got a little kid and he's hungry and he's saying, Dad, I'm hungry. Please give me a crust of bread. What kind of father? Is there any father that would turn around and say, Ah, quiet. Now, I have a rock to chew on, you know? I always think of when I was growing up, my dad used to always say, part of one of his figures of speech, you know, he'd say, Dad, I need a drink of water. My dad would always say, you know, instead of dirtying the cup, he goes, go out and drink from the hose. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I try and repeat that now. And it's amazing how cruel that sounds. People listen, you go, well, if the pastor said go out and drink from the hose, you know, you're not supposed to drink from the hose, you know? And yet, you know, that sounds cruel. And what kind of dad would you be if your kid comes up and says, Dad, I'm hungry. I'm, you know, I haven't eaten in a couple of days. And you go, here, chew on some rocks, you quiet kid. No, no father in their right mind says that. And that's Jesus' point. He's saying, that's not the way a father would operate. He says, uh, uh, he says verse 11, If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, Dad, can I just have a bite of fish? I'm hungry. Will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Does he throw a snake at the guy and say, eh, play with the, you know, the viper, kid. I don't want to care about you. That's, that's not the way a father is. Or if he asks for an egg, Dad, please, sausage McMuffin, that's all I need. Will he offer him a scorpion? What kind of dad would say, oh, here's my little kid. He's hungry and starving, and, and he's just saying, Dad, can I have a crumb of bread? And Dad says, here, throw a scorpion. Here, kid, chew on that, you know? That would be cruel. That would be inhumane. That would be a guy turned into Franklin County Services, you know, children's services. Take the kids from the guy, you know? It's ridiculous. And that's not the way anybody is going to operate with their kid. But notice what Jesus says, verse 13. He says, if you, if you then, being evil, that's the way evil man works. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. Any father knows how to take care of a child. He says, how much more, and emphasize that, how much more will your heavenly Father give what? The Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. Now, Jesus is saying that we ought to pray. And what He's really saying is sometimes when you read this passage, you have a tendency to say, well, this passage is teaching you that you really need to go up and beg and petition God. The man that's persistent gets his way. And we have a tendency to say, well, you know, sometimes if you, if you really want something from God, you just got to beg and beg and beg and beg. The guy, you know, what's the figure of speech? Uh, the, the squeaky wheel gets the most grease. So if you want the grease to come from God here, you really got to cry and whine to get it. And, 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 and Jesus is really saying that's not what this passage is about. A friend of mine kind of, it was explaining this to me, and it made a good point that, that this passage is saying just the opposite. He's saying, in the world, a, a worldly evil man, which any of us are, would operate at such a fashion that you really got to beg and whine to get your way. Jesus' point is just the opposite. He's to say, but that's not the way your Heavenly Father is. You do not have to go up and whine and cry and manipulate God to get what you want. If an earthly father takes care of an earthly son, 
Well, how much more? What better? What a more perfect love that your heavenly Father would turn around and say to you, you don't have to come up and and, and fast for three days and starve yourself and, and manipulate me. I'll give you what you want. I care about you. Now, notice the stipulation there is rather obvious. He's saying how much more he'd give of the Holy Spirit. A lot of times we do whine and cry and manipulate because, Lord, I want a Cadillac. Lord, I want a nicer house. Lord, I want a better wife. Lord, I want all these things. Oh, you hear it. You hear it. Laugh as you may. And you go, and we sit down and we always want, want, want. And God's saying, that's not what I have for you. What I have for you is the Holy Spirit. God has an abundance of the Holy Spirit that He wants to pour out. And I am amazed at how many people feel that their job is to say, you know, if you really, if you really want something spiritual, then we think it's something evil if we turn around and say, Lord, I'd like to pray in tongues. Lord, I'd like to be able to, to, to go up and to heal somebody. I'd like to go up and to be able to touch somebody. Lord, I see the spiritual oppression and I'd like to have victory in this area. And we somehow or another say, well, that just, just doesn't happen. You don't go up and ask for those things. You really got to you know, fast and pray and starve yourself and just really manipulate God and you've got to put yourself right in the right position and then God's going to come up and... No! God, God is saying, man, I've got this stuff in buckets and you're coming to me as a little child saying, God, please, may I... May I, may I have some peace in my life? Can I have some rest for my soul? Lord, there's, there's things that are happening that I need some victory in. And we feel so ashamed to go to God. And Jesus is trying to say, no, 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 no. Whatever you ask, you'll get. You've just got to ask the Lord. And He's generous. He's kind. He's loving. And what Jesus is trying to do is to teach us the, the nature and the character of God. We should never view our heavenly Father in light of what our earthly Father is. Well, you know, in order to get anything from my dad to get the car keys, I really had to cut the grass and do this and blah, 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 blah. So I guess if I want it from my heavenly Father, i got to go out and cut the grass in order to get anything. And Jesus is going, wrong answer. It's not that way. It's not a matter of begging, petition. We need to be able to come before God. We need to, one of the hearts of prayer is to understand the heart of God and to realize that God's a good God. He's a loving God. He cares and He shares and He's generous and He'll do anything to work in your life. He loves you. He knows the number of hairs on your head. And He is dying to spend time with you. He cares about you. And he's saying, hey, I'll do whatever I can to be in fellowship, to bring you closer together. That's the heart of God. So prayer starts with that premise. Hallowed, sacred be your name. The Father, your kingdom come. But Lord, I'm lifting up my needs to you. And I've got to know the character, the nature of who and what you are. You're much better than the rest of the world around me. It's not a a dog-eat-dog world in the kingdom of heaven. It's just the opposite, Jesus is saying. And so notice, if you would, this is going to be uh, 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 brought into an example for us. And you're going to watch all these things come together and, and, and see how it, it works itself out. He says, verse 14, And he was casting out a demon. So Jesus is on the scene doing his job. And please note, and it's important to note, as he's casting out a demon, it says, and it was mute. Who was? The demon was mute. So it was when the demon had gone out that the mute spoke. The guy all of a sudden started to speak. And the multitudes marveled. Wow, neat trick. But some of them said, maybe because they're grumpy, jealous, insecure, operating as a man trying to compete to be better and they're losing, they sit down and they scream sour grapes. And they go, he only casts out demons by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. And others, testing him, sought from him a sign from heaven. Jesus, do another trick, do another trick. Yeah, well, that one's not good enough. I want to see another trick. They're discontented. But he, knowing their thoughts, importantly, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And a house divided against a house falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, 
How will his kingdom stand? Now, there's a lot of things that are being said here. This is going to be an, an illustration of what Jesus is teaching on prayer and what he's trying to say about the nature and the character of God. And you're watching these people as Jesus comes up to this guy. He's mute. No, he's not mute. There is a demon that is mute, and Jesus goes up, casts the demon away from him, allowing the man to be free so that he can now speak and and articulate himself. Now, interesting, the, the demon, the demon was mute. And, and what, what as I wish I had my little card up with the Tasmanian devil up here, and you want to be able to separate to make a distinction between the man and, and the problem. And, and we always see the two blended together. Remember that whole teaching, and we went through that whole thing, and, 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 and the demon says, who are you to come against us when he was casting out these demons before in Luke? And, and, and it's not an us. The demon speaks as though, though he is the one in control. And Jesus says, the man is whole, the demon is mute. You get rid of the demon, and the man is free. And if you would, that demon that controls, that puts the the mind manipulation, the education, into that man, when you separate the bad education, if you would, for instructional purposes here, you can see that the man is set free. And all of a sudden, what happens, as people see this, they're going to sit down and say, well, we don't particularly like what Jesus just did. Oh, how dare he come in and, and, you know, what are they saying? We couldn't cast out this demon. We didn't even know there was a demon there. We just thought we had some, you know, whacked out guy that couldn't speak. And we just always put this guy down and ridiculed him. And now all of a sudden, Jesus comes in and he heals the guy. He loves the guy. He doesn't condemn them. He doesn't put them down. He just sits down there and heals them. And you can see their jealousy. You can see the anger. And they're sitting down there. They're going to make a huge mistake. And they're going to say, well, he just does that by the, by the power of darkness. He's just, you know, he's the king. He's the king of the demons. That's why he can control demons. And Jesus has got to turn around and says, dude, don't make that mistake. Um, you don't want to make that mistake. Uh, uh, you just saw something good happen. And now you're going to turn around and, and, and say that that's just bad. That's, that's instead of you saying, hey, look, something good. Well, let's just change the whole scenario. Let's just blame it as all bad and throw everything out the window because I'm too prideful to admit that maybe I was wrong. Well, that's one of the hearts of prayer is to say, Lord, show me, open, teach me. I want to learn. And when you're presented with something that's different than the way that you understand it, just throw it out is listen to this, an uneducated person. That, that's, that's someone who's foolish and stupid and short-sighted. They just want to throw out, that instead of admitting the fact that a miracle just took place. There, there's several plays of words that are going on here. First is this term, Beelzebub. Uh, Beelzebub is, is an interesting term in itself. Uh, where did that come from? What happens in in and the Jews are coming up and calling Jesus Beelzebub. Beelzebub means the Lord of the Flies uh, in a very sarcastic way. Uh, it was what the Philistines worshipped. They worshipped Baal, B-A-A-L. And they're first off, they're not even going to pronounce the name right. They're calling him B-E-E-L, Beelzebub. So they're like, we're not even going to dignify on how to answer this. And when they're saying that he's the Lord, Baal is the Philistine term for Lord. Zebulb is a term for the trash heap. Or more importantly, uh, they call him the Lord of the Flies. And I don't know of anybody that really worships a fly. Some people said the Egyptians did. And some people try and say, I don't know, the Philistines worshipped golden hemorrhoids and mice when they had the temple in there. Who knows what Philistines actually worship? But this is, this is an insulting term. Let's, uh, let's, let's use the analogy. Uh, we just had this guy die in the news, um, Al Zakawi, right? We blew him up and we, we killed him. And uh, I don't even know if that's the proper name on how to pronounce his name. But uh, hopefully it triggers in your mind what just happened this week of this guy dying. And uh, if you ever watch some of the news, that's only, that's only the end of his name. His name is really like, you know, this long. And they just call him Al Zakawi and everyone kind of knows who it is. And they're like, we're not even going to try and pronounce 
pronounce the rest of it. And, and, and it's almost like, you know, uh, the Jews would turn around and look at a name like that and says, why even bother, you know, dignifying this guy with trying to pronounce his name right? You know, the guy's a pig. He's a murderer. And, you know, who, we don't care if we butcher his name. So let's just call the guy Al Zucchini, you know. And Al Zucchini, uh, whatever, na 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 you know, the big zucchini. And we're not even going to try and say Al Zucchini. We're just going to call this guy Al Zucchini. And in a sense... That's what they're doing here with this Beelzebub. They're saying, we're not going to pronounce the word Baal correctly because it's a false god. We worship one god. And then they're going to say, the, the false god of the trash heap, the dung. What it really means is the dung heap. You know what I mean? The pile of trash. So the god of trash, and, and what they're doing, it goes a little deeper than this. The Jews always prided themselves in their intelligence, their education. They always mocked, and when you read certain names in the Bible, there's a mockery of the rest of the people that are around them. Uh, They walked into the promised land, and there were seven nations greater and stronger than them, and there were certain things that they looked at the people that were there, and they looked at them as just uneducated, stupid people. They they, they looked at them as, uh, 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 and and, really that's where the term the Babylonians comes in, the, the the Babylonians don't call themselves the Babylonians. They call themselves the Chaldeans. That's who they were. But the Jews called them the Babylonians because they looked at the Babylonians as, uh, 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 and they called uh, uh, Babel. They, the Jews would just say, those are the people that babble on. They're the Babylonians. They're, they're the, the, the idiots. And, and they're, they're the knuckleheads. And then they turned around and, you know, they prided themselves. And, you know, the Jews would have a, a, a very articulate, you know, language. They, they would write and, and have, a, you know, so they looked at these Babylonians. Uh, uh, uh. And they said, "Well, how do you how do you spell that? You know, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> and, and you know they're making a mockery of them. They're going, yeah, the Babylonians, the nuts out there, the zucchinis of this world. Yeah, that's what it is. You know, El Zucchini. And, 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 and first off, so so bear in mind what's happening is they're coming up to to Jesus, and what are they really saying? They're saying, oh, Jesus, you're the king of the uneducated." That's what you are. You're the king of the uneducated. You're the king of the devil. And that's the general assumption there. But they're going, Jesus, you don't understand the things that we understand. We are educated, trained, and very smart people with our PhDs in education. And we know God. And you, Jesus, you don't know God the way that we know God. And we know the sacred, holy name of God. And Jesus is saying, man, you don't even know what you're talking about. I'm the son of God. I have looked into the face of God, and I know God. I am very well trained. And anyone who is a man of prayer, who looks into the face of God, that's what prayer is, is getting the world away from you and sitting down and looking into the face of God and saying, God, change me, transform me, mold me. I love the picture of Moses going up on Mount Sinai to receive the law. And when Moses came back down because he stood and stared face to face, the Bible says, with God. And when Moses came down the hill, his face was glowing. It's all orange and red. And and he's just like, whoo, you know, I'm looking at God. And look how God has changed me. And, And it tells you that he had to put a veil over his face because... He was ashamed that his glowing would start to, you know, tone down and, and change and he'd go back to normal. And it was embarrassing to have, look at me, I've been in, oh, I've been in the presence of God. And, and then he slowly, and that's what prayer is, is looking into the face of God and saying, God, your will be done. I want more of you. I want, I want to reflect. I want that image in my life. And that's, that's what an education is. Is, is looking into the face of God. Now, here these Jews come up. They see that God is working amongst them, taking this guy who's mute and casting out the demon. They can't do anything about it. And what do they say? Well, you're just uneducated, Jesus. That's what you are. You're uneducated. You're just Lord of the Flies. Uh, the meal's a bulb. <laughs> and they're ripping on Jesus. And what you're starting to see is Jesus is starting to say, well, what's a true education? A true, a true education is going to be one that says, you know the heart of God. And, and the heart of God is to see a man who's oppressed and to be liberated so that he can now speak. God will give the power of the Holy Spirit in buckets 
if you can just sit down and unleash and untap the power of God. And you're going to do that if you know God because you're educated in God. And these people are sitting down there with their education in rejecting Jesus. And Jesus says, that ain't so. How dare you say that? There's a couple of things that are happening here with inside this, this. And it's a complicated passage, but if you understand what's happening, it, it works smoothly. But Jesus is saying, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. So he says a simple truth. You take two things, you, you, you have it rip apart each other, and, and pretty soon everything's going to go down. It takes unity, the power of the Holy Spirit, and and. What Jesus is saying is, is basically Satan will destroy himself. Satan will be divided and his house does fall. But that's not what Jesus is doing. He says, so if, if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? And his point is, is in saying Satan will be destroyed. Satan will, the fruit of Satan is division, arguments, factions, Ripping each other apart. That's, that's the way the world is, the way Satan operates. The, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and unity. And, and Jesus is saying, Satan will be destroyed. But how, listen to that, illogical is that? How stupid are you? And what Jesus is really saying is, I just did a miracle. And what he's saying in so many words is, do you think I'm stupid? What, you're calling me uneducated? Do you really think I'm stupid? I sat down there, just cast a demon out of the guy, and you're calling me stupid? Do you think I'm stupid? That's not, not going to happen here, because I'm educated. So he says, because you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebub, and I cast out demons, uh, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, well, here's this for a question, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. Jesus' second point is to say, well, okay, you're right. There are two different sides to this issue. There's a good side and a bad side. And he says, guess what? You and I are on different sides. Uh, That sometimes is a major revelation in our life. The first clue most people get on the path to being saved is they have to come up with a concept that they're on the wrong side of God. There has to come a time in your life when you can sit down and say, look, there's God out there and there's heaven. Uh, Which side am I on? If I were to die today, would I go to heaven? Am I on God's side or am I on the other side? And for me, part of the awakening was to turn around and to say, Maybe I'm not on the right side of God. Uh, We don't like to think like that. We hate to ask that question. And we'd rather bury our head in the sand than to deal with it. But you have to start asking that question. And Jesus is begging it. He says, well, okay, there's different sides. Uh, Where are you at? Your sons are soon doing something. I'm doing something different. Uh, They are going to be your judges. He says, verse 20, but if, if I cast out demons with the finger of God, notice he says, if I'm on the right side and you're on the wrong side, Surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. So we're on different sides, but what if I'm right? What if you're throwing rocks at me and you're wrong? You better think twice about what's happening, especially in light of the power that Jesus just demonstrated. He gives his third point here in verse 21. He says, okay, when a, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes him uh, from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. So Jesus' third point is to say, okay, uh, there's different sides. You and I are on different sides. But also you better look at it. One side is greater than the other. And uh, 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 where are you at in that whole scenario? He gives a simple illustration. You take a guy, he's guarding his house, he's got a shield, he's got a sword, and he's saying, I'm taking care of my goods. My goods are all right here. And the illustration would be, you and I on our best day, 
with all of our flesh and armor and strength, uh, we're going to be beaten down. There's somebody greater than us that walks into the room. It's the power of God that we're going to have to eventually yield to. And if one side is greater than the other, which side do you think is greater, God or the demon? You just saw me cast out a demon. You just have to admit that there's differences of sides here. Now, where do you think I'm standing in this? Obviously, Jesus would say, uh, uh, the power of God would be greater than the demonic world, hopefully. You just saw me kick the little demon out. So I'm telling you that I'm on God's side. And if you don't want to admit that, then you'd have to admit that what I just did was... The guy with the demon was on God's side and I'm the evil side and I triumphed over good, over the mute. That's insane. And he goes, that's not the way it is. God's greater than anything demonic. I just conquered the demonic and now there's a difference of sides, so I'm on God's side. Don't sit down there and say that I'm uneducated. I understand the heart of God. Think about what you're saying. He gives another truth here. His fourth point, verse 24. He says, When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, so you cast demons out, he says he goes through dry places seeking rest. So it's interesting that a a demon likes to inhabit someone. I think it's interesting that whenever you see the demonic being encountered, it is always coming through someone. You know, demons are little things floating around, I guess. You know, some fallen angel. I don't know what they are. They come through and they have to inhabit flesh. It's interesting. This verse kind of backs that up a little bit, that a a demon wants to inhabit someone. So if a demon's really ripping you apart, how does it come to you? Through someone. It's always that person that, ooh, man, that guy just grates on me. And you got to, hey, it's that. We don't battle with flesh and blood. It's not the person. It's the demonic spirit behind that. And somehow or another, we have to get that grip. But this is an interesting point. Jesus is saying, okay, you got a vessel, a person. You cast the demon out of that person, he says, and he goes through dry places seeking rest, looking for another abode. And he's finding none. There's nobody else out there to possess, I guess. He says, well, I know what I'll do. I'll return to my house from which I came. I'm going to go back to that guy that I was cast out and see how he's doing. And when he comes... Oh, he finds it swept and put in order. Nice, clean house. The guy's not, you know, throwing himself in the fire anymore. And when he goes and takes with him seven other spirits, ten times more, seven times more the problems, more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Now, Jesus is trying to make a simple illustration that we are vessels to be inhabited by something. You're either inhabited by the forces of darkness, you're lost, destined for hell, or you are filled with God's Spirit. But if you take your vessel, your body, your flesh, and just to get rid of all the sin in your life, that still doesn't help you. What you need to do as a Christian is to fill yourself, fill yourself with God's Spirit. We know that, you know, good and evil aren't going to dwell together and and and. If Christ fills me, then evil can't. And the idea would be that I want to be filled with, strengthened with the things of God. And it's amazing that what this is kind of teaching in a nutshell, quickly to go over it, is to say that, you know, for you to be saved just isn't for you to quit smoking, drinking, and be with girls that do or whatever, you know. Uh, It's not to have a nice, clean vessel. God's not out there saying, you know, we just got to stop all the abortions and, and stop all the things that are happening so that little kids can grow up, oh, and just go to hell. God would like to see that you take people and say you have these vessels and, and, and not just to keep it alive, not to just to preserve it, not to make it healthy and strong and to protect the temple, but to take that temple of the Holy Spirit and to fill it with the Holy Spirit. So for you and I, what we have to do is we have to be able to say, Lord, it's not... It's not the things that I don't do that make me right. What I need to do is to fill my life with God and say, Lord, fill me. Lord, fill me. Lord, fill me. So that when I have Christ indwelling me, 
when something demonic comes up and says, hey, I'd like to come into this thing, it's going to say, can't do that. God's already there. God's put himself in that place. And Jesus is making a simple point to keep the main thing the main thing, to sit down there and say, don't just flounder around. But with you, listen to this, we have to be educated. Some people, you know, think that Calvary Chapel is not a, a church that, that, that likes education. You know, some people make the accusation that Calvary Chapel pulpits are always filled with people that haven't graduated high school. Dave, the IR of Marine, is now the pastor. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and we sometimes or another we poo-poo education and think, you know, these people with their master's degree of theology who know so much, they really know nothing. And, and Calvary Chapel is not a church that despises an education. Uh, what it seeks is to have people that are educated in the right things, the things of God, the people that are, are, are men and women of the Spirit who know who and what God is, not to be so educated. And it is sad to see that there is a world out there of, 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 of higher education, the things of, of you know, uh, Harvard, Yale, and Brown, and all these Ivy League schools, they all started out as seminaries, and they were great schools to, to raise up uh, uh, armies of people that would go out and evangelize the world. And now they have turned into places that are just the opposite. God is mocked and ridiculed. Professing to be wise, they have become fools. And now they say, we don't need God. We don't recognize God anymore. What we need is just more education. And education in itself is great. Where what Jesus is saying, you can be as educated as you want. If you miss God, you've missed everything. What, is it, what does it gain a man? What does it profit a man if he gains the world and he loses his soul? A fool. And what we need to do is to say, Lord, what he's saying... I need to be educated. I need to thirst after, seek after, pursue. And we as Christians should be thirsty to gain as much information, as much as we can about the face of God, to sit down and to sit in prayer and look at the face of God. To sit down and to say, Lord, the veil's coming off. The shatter, I'm shattering all my, my, my grand schemes and I want to look at you, Lord, and I want to see you. And I want to say, Lord, your will be done. As it is in heaven, let it be right here in my heart. Lord, I want to emulate. I want to copy. I want to be, I want to be a little Christian, right? That's what a Christian is. It means a little Jesus. And, and they call them Christians in Antioch at first to ridicule them. And to say, oh, here comes a little Jesus, someone who's Christ-like. And you go, yes, that's exactly what I want to be. I want to be a little Jesus. I want to be someone who emulates the things of God, who copies the things of God into their heart. I want to focus on you. And the only way I can do that is if I seek and I thirst after and I fill this cup, I fill this cup with God. And shame on us if we spend all day filling it with so many other things. Verse 27, And it happened as he spoke these things that a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you. Oh, praise God for your mother and the breast which you nursed. And Jesus says, Oh, don't get off track. He said, But more than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Reflecting upon what we taught last week about going out and actually loving the uh, guy in the road. It was the Samaritan that actually demonstrated love. And it says, And while the crowds were thickly gathered together, he began to say, This is an evil generation. Gee, Jesus, that really wins over some friends. <laughs> that like speaking. This congregation's evil! <laughs> They'll go, I think we could try that church down the street. <laughs> this is an evil generation. It seeks a sign. It wants something proven to it. And no sign will be given to it. The only thing they're going to get is accept the sign of Jonah the prophet. And for those of us that would understand Jonah, Jonah was a simple guy that was raised up, called by God to go preach to the Ninevites. He personally hated the Ninevites. And he says, I don't want to go get all them people saved. I'd like to see God fry them all. So instead of going inland, I'm going to go out to sea for a while. Time to go fishing. So he goes out on a boat. The boat starts to kick up this 
storm that is totally unnatural. It's supernatural. And even the men on board say, somebody must have stepped on some god's toe because we're going down. Which one of us is it? They throw lots and the lot comes up on Jonah. And they said, what did you do? Who did you offend? And he goes, well, I serve the God of creation, the one that made everything, the big one. And he told me to do something and I'm not doing it. So they said, fine, solve the problem. Throw the guy overboard. He goes overboard. Big fish comes up, grabs hold of him. Three days, three nights, he's in the belly of the whale, the fish, whatever it is that swallowed him. Swims around, spits him back up on shore. Says, you need to go back over here to uh, go preach to these people, whether you like them or not. You do what God tells you to do. And so he obediently goes through the city. Everyone gets saved and he throws a little pity party over it and says, man, I can't believe you saved these people. And the sign is, is that as Jonah was in the whale three days and three nights, Jesus is going to be the same thing. He's going to be in the belly of the earth. He's going to be dead for three days and then he's going to be resurrected. And as, as we see this beautiful sign that he's saying, that's the only thing you're going to get, Jesus is saying, is my death and resurrection. You're going to kill me, I'm going to be resurrected, and I'm going to show you beyond all shadow of a doubt that God, the creator of the universe, is greater than anything. We can't run from him. You've got you to dance, you've got you to be there with him. And so he's saying, the only thing you get is the sign of Jonah. My death and resurrection will be to this generation. And then he gives a, a, almost an insult. He says, the queen of the south will rise up in judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. So here it is. You can say, hey, here's this whole generation, these group of people that rejected Jesus when Jesus was doing miracles. When they all died, they're going to stand up there, Jesus says, on judgment day. And up comes this lady out of the back, you know, the queen of the south, and says, you stupid idiots, you blew it. Man, she's got to say, she's got to give them the right act. She's got to, she's got to rise up in judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. Something greater than Solomon is here. So she's going to stand around and say, You know, in my day, I traveled half the world to hear Solomon. And Solomon didn't know nothing compared to Jesus. And I was smart enough to listen to Solomon, and you guys have got Jesus, and you didn't even listen to him. I'd like to have a cranky lady here next year on Judgment Day. You played the fool! You uneducated person. You think you're so smart. You don't know anything if you're rejecting Jesus and definitely calling him Beelzebub. He says, the men of Nineveh will rise up. The guys that Jonah had to preach to. The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it. They repented at the preaching of Jonah. Hey, you guys, you knuckleheads, we had just some guy come out of a fish and tell us about God, and we were smart enough to listen to that. You're going to get a guy raising himself from the dead, and you're not going to listen. What is it going to take for you to have your eyes open? For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. Something greater than Jonah is here. you got something better, Jesus. And then Jesus gives us this truth. He says again, he says, no one, when he has, a lamp, when he has lit a lamp, you take a little light, uh, candle, you, you light it. He says, puts it in a secret place or under a basket, but on a lampstand, that those who come in may see the light. So he's telling you, you've got a light, you've got to let it shine. You've got to look, pursue, and to seek after these things. Now, for those of you that are keen enough, this is the second time in Luke that Jesus has quoted this passage. If you are with us, Luke chapter 8, we saw that he quoted it once before. And during that time was right after the parable of the sower, when he turns around and he says, some seed, you know, you throw out there, it falls along the path, it dies. Some seed you throw out there, it falls on shallow ground, it springs up, but then it dies. You got some seed that goes along the weeds, it springs up, doesn't bear any fruit because the weeds choke it out, but there's the good fruit. And what is he saying? The good fruit that comes from those that bear forth a hundredfold are those that are going to be, listen to this, wrapping it all together, I believe it's all hinging together, are going to be those that seek after and educate themselves by looking into the face of God. Jesus has been giving us a point-by-point teaching on how to be a true disciple, we said. We said a true disciple is someone who asks, is someone who sits down and bears fruit, is someone who has faith 
because we understand there's a right and wrong faith. But what is he really saying? It's having the right education, bearing the right light, sitting down there looking at that light, putting it up there and saying, shine on me, help me see, because the world is dead, it's dark. So many people are blind. A true disciple has his eyes open and says, I get it, I see things. He says, tying this all together, verse 34, and we can end here, he says, the lamp is the body of the eye. The lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, what you look at, and you can almost think as the eye gate, when it's open and you're looking at what is right, your whole body is full of light. It, it, it fills the whole body. But when your eye is bad, your body also is full of darkness. Therefore, take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. But then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark. The whole body will be full of light as when the bright um, shining of a lamp gives you light. Jesus is saying you got uh, 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 an eye gate. It's what you look at. You want to sit down and look at pornography all day. Then you're going to sit down and be filled with every perverted thought in this world. You're going to be filled with darkness, and that's what goes into your mind, through your eye, what you look at. And if your eye is full of light, if you sit down there and meditate, look at, and that's what prayer is, is opening up your mind's eye to see God, meditate on the things of God, then you're going to be filled with His likeness, and you will bear His reflection. That's all prayer is. He's trying to tell you. You stop and you meditate upon God. You focus on the things of God. You sit down and say, Lord, I, just, I, need, I need to learn of you. I need to know your character. I need to be what you're like. I need to say, hallowed be your name. Sacred are you. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Lord, I want whatever you are over there to be right here. And as we spend time focusing on God, it's going to make all of us whole. But unfortunately, so many of us spend so much time staring at the idiot box. We spend so much time staring at things that are filling our mind with lust, perversion, and deception. And then we turn around and say, Lord, how come my, way, my, my faith is, 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 is off? How come, how come I'm wallowing in my sins? How come I'm not you know, having power in my life? How come, Lord, you know, I, don't, I, I can't go out and have the Spirit of God in my life? It must be because God's a mean God. Don't you dare say that. God is a good God. He's a loving God. And if we, want to, if we want to open the doors of God, ask, knock, seek. What are you looking at? It's so hard to say, God's given us the, the pearls of truth. He's given us everlasting life. And so many of us treat it as if eh, it's just Beelzebub. It's just the trash heap. And then we say, well, I can't, I can't miss you know, church. I mean, I, I can't go to church on Wednesday. That's the night dynasty's on. I don't know. I can't go to a prayer meeting on Saturday. I'd miss my favorite day. Hey, man, there's, there's so much more to our life. And what Jesus is saying, don't, don't throw out the gift of prayer. Look at, meditate, reflect upon what God wants to do in your life. And he's saying there's so much more. He wants to pour it out to you. Now, we're going to close up here. We're going to take communion. In communion, you're communing with God. If you would, we can start to pass out the elements if uh, anybody's here to do that. I don't know, Terry picks people and grabs them. But the idea of, of communion is to sit down and to, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. We sit down there and we want to say, Lord, I want to think on, remember, meditate the things that you have for us. And we take this and we think of the cross of Christ and we identify ourselves, become one with Christ. We're communing. We're going to put those things of Christ into our life. This is what Jesus told us to do. That whenever you break bread, you think of Him. Whenever we eat, grab a few burgers in the back, we think of Him. God wants to do a wonderful, beautiful miracle in your life. Meditate and think upon that concept. Jesus, taking on the sins of the world, the anger of man, 
beaten, whipped, tortured, laughed at, spit upon. He put his faith in God. He said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He turns around and he tells us that we need to have that attitude to reflect upon ourselves, not to count their trespasses against them. To sit down and to say, Your will be done, not mine. That's what Jesus said at the cross. Thy will be done, not mine. And as you look upon, reflect, and what we do through communion is to say, Lord, I want to identify with you. Look upon you. Meditate upon you. Jesus said to take heed how you listen. The first time he quoted the thing about the light in the bundle, basket or whatever. Now he's saying, take heed that the light in which you is in you is not darkness. Can you hear that deception? There is a level inside of us that we can think that we're okay when we're on the wrong side of God. If you take communion today, you can put yourself on the right side of God by accepting Jesus Christ to say that that is the power and the strength that you need in your life. A good education? Good education is just saying, Lord, I need you in my life. Bad education is saying that you got all the credentials in the world, yet you're foolish enough to throw God out the window. Our memory verse for Proverbs, The wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the legacy of fools. We need to say, Lord, I need your glory in my life. Let me not leave behind a legacy of shame and foolishness. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for being a loving God. Forgive us, Father, sometimes for forgetting that you are a loving God kind, generous God. That You are much more loving than even our earthly fathers. That You care about us, Father. You don't throw scorpions at us and laugh. You care about us. Father, we're Your children and we're asking, Father, for wisdom. We're asking for Your Spirit to be here, Father, to heal and to touch. We pray, Father, that You would keep the demons at bay that You would protect us from the evil one, Father, and that we would be inhabited, have You indwelling us, satisfying us. We want You to be a welcome guest. Father, as we partake of this bread here, Father, we want to identify with Your pain and suffering to know that the flesh profits nothing. Father, we recognize that You bore our sins upon that cross. So, Father, we partake of this bread, Father, to identify, to make ourselves one with You. Father, as that crumb is terrible tasting and miserable, our sins are miserable. But You didn't leave us here in our misery, Father. You gave us the fruit of the vine to satisfy our thirst. The blood of Christ, Father, which washes us and cleanses us. Father, we partake of this cup to be washed and to be cleansed and to be filled with Your Spirit. Father, we take this now in remembrance of Your Son who was the ultimate warrior for us that died and gave His life for us. We thank You, Father. We praise You. We do this in remembrance of Christ Jesus. Father, we love You. We praise You. We ask, Father, that we'd be more like You. Train us, Father. Disciple us. Educate us, Father, into the ways of You. Help us to see Your your ways, Father. Help us to see the world through Your eyes. Help us not to be blind, Father, but to bear forth fruit for Your kingdom. Father, do a mighty work here today. I pray for those that sincerely prayed that prayer, Father, that they would have their lives changed forever today, that we would crank it up a notch, 
and be Your servants, Father, to a new level. To demonstrate love, Father. Not to be educated according to this world, but to be educated in You. Father, we thank You, we praise You, and we give You all the glory, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.